Hi, and welcome to On the Road. I'm your host, Rick Courier. This is the podcast where you get to join me for coffee and cocktails with tech partner marketers. Together, we'll learn from their experience and have a little fun. In today's episode, I meet with John Gallant, Enterprise Consulting Director at Foundry. I've personally been working with John for years to help educate partner marketers and to create thought leadership programs. As a former Chief Content Officer of IDG Enterprise, as well as the host of monthly CIO meetups, John has his pulse on the enterprise tech buyer. In this episode, we chat about the focus of the CIO heading into next year, an update on the overall market, and advice on how partner marketers can help cut through all that noise and get the ear of the CIO. Hope you enjoy, and feel free to email me with any feedback at rick underscore courier at foundryco.com. Hey, John, welcome. Rick, pleasure to be here. You know, this is actually my first time in the, the Foundry Needham studio. Isn't it a very cool place? It's, it's actually nicer than I was expecting. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know how to respond to that, but I love the studio. It looks like it has the feel of a, one of those lofts from an 80 movies where one of the Brat Pack people might live. You know? it's just, it's, it has that cool feel. I don't, to it. I don't want to tell you how young I was in the 80s. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you actually film in here quite a bit, don't you? Yeah, we've done some research uh, overviews, sort of the highlights of our research results. You know, Foundry does a lot of terrific research. Uh, and we've done other custom programs where there's video elements. I just recently was in, we had a quiz that we did for one of our, for one of our partners. And I was sort of the ask the expert where people could click. And there was a little video link to me talking about the subject of the questions. So nice. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that, that turned fun. out really well. Very cool. Yeah. I, I was not nervous for this until until I sat down and they said, don't spill the wine on the chairs because our new CEO is sitting in the chairs next week filming. Uh-oh. <laughs> so now I'm like really nervous about drinking the red wine on the chairs. <laughs> so I have to do what I do on a plane. I, my, my advice on planes is whenever you take a sip, you always lean forward so you don't get any <laughs> on your, if there's a bump and you always open anything on a plane away from yeah. you in case it's pressurized. Oh, it's been a while since I've spilled on a plane and now I'm worried about the plane ride home. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be fine. So what do you think of the wine? Oh, you know, this. as I mentioned to you earlier, this wine and I have had a long relationship, and, yeah. we're, and we're dear friends. I like it a lot. Should I, should I tell everybody that I feel you set me up on the wine? Oh, how did I do that? Well, you're a big wine guy. Uh, red wines, yes. Well, okay. I have box wine at home in my fridge, <laughs> and you just said, oh, grab any uh, Napa cab, and I knew, like, John was setting me up to fail on this one. Uh, well, so, you did very, very well, and, well, and I, I did give you some. To get. <laughs> I did give you some price striations to keep you out of the really high-priced uh, uh, Napa cabs. So, how did you find this wine? Experimentation, yeah, lots and lots of experimentation. <laughs> it's, College it's days. It's my advice to everyone: yeah. just keep experimenting. Nice, nice. Yeah. I feel like we're pre-gaming for tonight a little bit. Really looking forward. We're having our partner marketing dinner here in Boston. Very much looking forward to that. Our last one was in May in, uh, on the West Coast, and really productive conversation. I, I learned a tremendous amount from the folks we had in the room, and, and it's what you kind of hope for when you have one of these uh, roundtable discussions, which is the roundtable takes over yeah. itself, and you don't have to steer the conversation because people are really exchanging ideas and really exchanging 
um, you know, they talked about their challenges and the things they're working on. Was, I, I just found it really interesting to hear. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, you and I were talking to our, our EMEA team earlier today. They're going to do one in London. Exactly. Trying to coach them a little bit on the agenda. And, you know, the question came up, do we, do we have the moderator focus on tech or more marketing best practices? And we yeah. said, it's more the best practices. Because I think what's unique is you get in that dinner and people realize that their challenges aren't necessarily unique to them. It's They're more widespread, yeah. right? And this is kind of some pain points we're feeling as an industry, but sometimes we're just so trapped in our bubble, we don't realize that like, hey, this is a challenge that everybody's facing. And that came up a lot at dinner in different areas. 100%, and you you know the partner marketing space much better than I do. I, I spend a lot of time talking to marketing people, but that's a particular discipline that you know really well and what challenges that they have, you know, so internal and external challenges that they face and for them to have the opportunity to, I mean, big companies too, to say like, yeah, we are, we are dealing with this pain point right now yeah. and to give each other advice on how to navigate that, uh, it, it was super valuable. I, I have a, a number of CIO groups that I've worked with over the years and I find the same thing. They don't wanna talk about the technology. Yeah, They're dealing with lots of problems around leadership, getting corporate support, I have a meeting coming up in a couple of weeks where we'll spend the entire day on data strategy. Hmm. And I speak to each one of them before the meeting. What do you want to get out of the day? It'll be successful if we do what? But I always ask them a question, which I think is really important when you do these kinds of things. What don't you want to talk about? <laughs> like what rat hole don't you want to go down when we all get together? Yeah. And for this, you know, and we'll talk a lot about uh, analytics and AI and data strategy. They all said, I don't want to talk about technology. Really? Everybody has a different technology base that they're yeah. working from. You know, a lot of that can be, you know, how big it is and how much we have and how they don't want that. They really want to talk about things like, how do I get my company behind this effort? How do I get the CEO to make this a mandate that we use data better? How do I get line of business folks to get behind it and free up the information and not guard it so that we can use it as a company? So it's interesting to see across groups, that's not the focus, the guts of it. It's really on strategy, leadership, people, process, those kinds of things that people really wrestle with. Interesting, and I wonder if it's the same on the CIO side, but something I noticed at the dinner was, and this, this came up I think a couple years ago when we did the dinner again is, you know, from I, I talked to startup marketers and they feel like, oh, if I just had more resources or a bigger team, these challenges would go away. And then we talk to these partner marketers at these very large Fortune 500 companies, and they have the same challenges. So yeah. the bigger you are, it doesn't mean those challenges go away, right? Scale, yeah. globally consistent, locally relevant, you know, the friction between field marketing and, and you know, uh, direct sales teams, same challenges. Yeah. Well, you know, you're a parent of three, you yeah. know, three kids. Yeah. So, you know, bigger kid, bigger problems, <laughs> little yeah. kids, little problems. And I think for the bigger companies, if you're talking to those partner marketing, think of the kinds of organizations they are working with as partners. They're working with companies that are as big or bigger than them. Yeah. Right. So to organize and, and to steer those companies and align with those companies, those are big challenges that smaller companies don't have the luxury of having yet. Yeah. So those are big challenges. Absolutely. Well, looking forward to dinner tonight. Should be a good time. And we'll do another one in, what, San Francisco, I think, come spring. Yeah, looking forward to that. And for the and to hear back what our European colleagues find, what are the differences yeah. over there? I know you brought up an interesting point about that, which is if, if you're working with an organization that's in the U.S., how do you deal with those U.S. mandates in different yeah. regions of the world? And how do you try to align 
with different needs of companies there. Yeah, it's you know? funny. We, we, we tend to see things shift, whether it's centrally planned here out of the U.S. versus Europe, you know, locally planned. kind of goes in waves, too, yeah. right? And so, you know, working with our European counterparts, it's, it's, it's more of a collaboration just figuring out how do, we, how do we service our customers that are planning in different ways around the world. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm interested because, you know, in prepping for tonight, I was looking over at some of the notes from the last meeting. What were your big takeaways from the last time we talked to folks back in May? Yeah, you know, one thing that hasn't changed the last couple of years is, you know, scale. You know, how do I how do I scale programs for partners, keep it easy, but also maintain control, right? I think that's a big thing for a lot of a lot of our customers is I want to be able to control some of the outcomes so I can control the results. Right. Right, as opposed to just handing money over the over the table through MDF funds and kind of losing some control. Um, Globally consistent and locally relevant came up. That was a big one, right? right? And that kind of that goes back and forth with scale. Like I got to scale programs globally. How can I set up frameworks that can be scaled globally, but the regional teams still feel like they can make it relevant and result oriented within their specific regions and look right. at the regional differences. That was that was the other one. And I think the third was um, you know really focused on that friction between field sales, field marketing sales, but also just sharing value internally, right? Right. So, you know, a lot of times the mar partner markets can be producing results. Um, the ROI is there, but they still have to sell that ROI internally and say, hey, look at what we're doing is actually working. Yeah, I, I, that's one thing that I was struck by. It almost seemed like they're being held to a higher bar of proving the value of what they do. I know yeah. all marketing is always striving to prove the value of what they do, but that seemed to me, that seemed to be a common theme throughout the people at the table, which is, you know, we have to prove it to our partners, but we really have to prove it internally and in that there seems to be that, a, a fair number of questions about what are we getting out of this? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I loved it how they all, they all just kind of jumped in and said, yeah, we're facing that problem too. Yeah. And then they, this conversation took over itself. The other thing I loved was I had uh, someone tell me afterwards, I went into it expecting a vendor event. And it wasn't that at all. It was a peer-based discussion. That yeah. was my goal for the event was, you know, it's, and this is why I love working on the partner marketing side. You see this on the direct marketing side too, but not as much, but I feel like partner marketers are more willing to come together and, and share. Yeah. And it's the nature of the job, right? I have to work with other marketers to accomplish my goals and drive results. So, you know, we've actually had competitors show up at these events. Um, you know, cloud-based arch nemesis show up and yeah. share and talk. And, and I love that at these events. And that was my main goal. And I think it goes back to the unique nature of that role. So marketing is a big thing. Partner marketing is, is a, a set of expertise within that and they have a specific set of challenges. So for them to be able to get together and talk about those is great. We see that with, you know, if you take people, someone who's a, a cloud architect, you know, they get cloud architects together, they're really gonna have a lot to talk about yeah. because there's a unique aspects of that role where, you know, if you take 10 different IT people, it's a little harder to get them talking about yeah. things and because, you know, some of the things unite them and some of the things are different. See, security folks, easy to get them talking because they have those same challenges that they all wrestle with and the same issues they're trying to they're trying to handle within their organizations. It's funny you say that. I feel like marketing's the same thing now. It's it's a very ubiquitous term. Like yeah. what kind of marketing do you do? IT. Like, okay, just to say call someone IT, that doesn't really mean anything anymore. Right. Are you a, a network engineer? Are you a security professional? I mean there's so many, you know, focuses and we see that on the marketing side too. Yeah. Well for me, you deal with this day in and day out. So I came up through the editorial ranks 
And, you know, when I started many years ago, and if I tell you, you'll make some reference to how old you were then. (laughs) But many years ago, you know, it was print advertising, and that was the world of print advertising. So uh, very different. Now I'll be on calls and I'll ask these people on my team, I was like, what what does that term even mean (laughs) that those marketing folks are talking about? There's a whole set of acronyms. This set of technology that never existed, you know, this whole stack of technology that people are using. Uh, and things around intent and demand generation and funnel and the whole, yeah. you know, it's been a, a learning experience for an editorial guy. Well, well I got to tell you, I, I felt a little old at lunch today because I took my team out for lunch and one of the girls on the team said, that's fire. And I was like, does that mean it's a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah. So I felt a little old at lunch today too. So I there's read a lot of terms I don't know. recently, <laughs> so I know that's good. I know. Well, I mean, I think we jumped right in. I didn't even give a background on you. And yeah. so I, I think it'd be fair to tell the audience a little bit about your history. But before we do that, and kind of our, our prep for this, I, I feel like I knew this in my past, but I must have forgotten it. You're a published author. And you write horror <laughs> fiction. Yes, I do write horror fiction. Uh, I just published my seventh story. I'm losing money on the deal because I get them published and then I end up buying 10 copies or whatever. Uh, and it doesn't pay Great very Christmas well. Christmas gifts though, right? Uh, exactly, <laughs> signed copies of, yeah. of my works. Yeah, I, I've always loved horror. I've always loved ghost stories. It's something I'm very passionate about. And I've been writing for a long time. Uh, was difficult to balance with my editorial role earlier, which mm-hmm. was pretty time consuming. But just something that I've always loved, and uh, it's great, you know, when when someone says we'll publish your story, I don't care what they're paying. It's that that, that validation that somebody likes the story. Yeah. So you can look on Amazon. You can see some uh, some anthologies where I'm in there. I have to tell you, one of the coolest things was looking in the comments about one of the anthologies where someone called out my story. And I was like, I'll take that to the grave as, All right. as sort of a high watermark thing. Look into the comments. It's a and little it wasn't risky, wife, though. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> it can be a little risky looking through the comments, though, because especially online, people will say all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah, and, and some of them are untrustworthy for other reasons. But yeah, so no, that's, uh, you know, when you're writing, it takes you out of the things that you've been thinking about and worrying about all day. So it's a very relaxing thing to do as well. So do you like go off to the cabin in the woods and drink Napa cab- cabs? And are <laughs> like, what's your, what's your process uh, behind writing? I noticed that, that drinking helps you to write, but it doesn't help you to write well. <laughs> so I tend to separate those uh-huh. activities. But no, I just write at home for the most part. Hopefully that's not a bad omen for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so... Tell, I think it's worth telling the audience a little bit about your 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 history at Foundry. I mean, sure. obviously you started here at IDG, but you know, who are you, and and you know, why do so many people go to you for market expertise? Well, I'd like to think it's because I have some kind of unique knowledge, but I think the the reality is is that I've had the opportunity over a long career with IDG slash Foundry of talking to both sides of the equation. So, you know, I started as a reporter at Computer World many years ago. I covered the mainframe software industry and then was part of a team that launched Network World. And we covered, you know, I spent many years at Network World covering the evolution of the network industry. And we really tried to broaden the focus of that, which is not so just so much pure Cisco Juniper, but it was really everything that the network was shaping in the organization, everything that it was making possible. Then I became chief content officer for all of the brands in the U.S., consumer and enterprise, and now work you know, more as a consultant on the sales side. What I had the opportunity to do is spend a lot of time with IT people and learn what they're wrestling with, 
both within IDG and with some of these external groups that I work with. But I always made it a point to spend a lot of time talking to people on the vendor side. So I had a CEO uh, interview series that I did for years where I talked to CEOs of startups and big companies, hmm. met with many, many thousands over the course of, I mean, I've been doing this 40 years, thousands of marketing people over the years, you know, whether at a trade show or trips out to the West Coast or trips to other parts of the country, just going company to company because... Uh, you know, IT people are great at telling you what they need and what they're trying to do. They don't see the road as ahead as clearly. Hmm. So in speaking to vendors, you often get a better sense of where tech is going. And that helped shape the coverage because we could see things coming down the road. So today when I talk to people, I have a better perspective on, you know, how should these two sides talk to each other? You know, IT people are often resistant to hearing from vendors. And vendors are always wondering, what do I say to those folks to make them open up and let me talk to them? Hmm. So I think that's that's where the value comes from. That's, that's awesome. I, I love the fact that I, I almost see you as a bridge, right? So you know, one side needs something, they're not great at communicating it. The other side, really good at communicating, but not always understanding what they need. And you can, you can help facilitate that, that gap. Yeah, that's what I try to do. So yeah. when we have meetings, that's what I try to do. And, you know, I, I'm... I guess having done this so long, I'm also pretty candid with people. So if you're telling me about a line of thinking or, or a, a catchphrase or a marketing mantra that I don't think is going to fly with people, I'm going to tell you that yeah. because we're not going to be successful working with you and you're not going to be successful if your messaging is off the mark from the beginning. And I'm not a marketing person, but I know what people will respond to on the IT side. And recently we were talking to a company and they had a phrase and, and I had to be candid and say, nobody knows what that phrase is. So you can spend a lot of time trying to beat that phrase into people's head, but they're talking about the message behind it. What you're doing is really on the mark. So if you can convey that more clearly, you're going to get in right away. If you're trying to make that message stick, you're going to be pounding on people for a while and hopefully it'll stick but if you miss that opportunity, you've missed the opportunity to talk to them about something you really can talk to them about right now. <laughs> so I think having those conversations, I hope, is valuable to people. Now, obviously, with digital, the proliferation of information, it's just easier for IT buyers to get the information they need. Has that made marketers, I guess, have messages that are more on the mark and not try to beat those bad messages in? Or do you still see quite a, quite a bit of that? You know, I, I think one of the things that I still see is that there are companies that are really still technology and engineering led. Mm. And those companies have better technology than they have positioning. And then companies that are great at positioning that maybe don't have as much technology to back it up. And I really want to help that first group of companies because if you can clarify what makes you unique... I mean, you have to think about it the perspective of if somebody's been buying, let's say, are you a car guy? Not really. No, nor am I. <laughs> I. I have three kids under six. I don't really do anything anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For me, the car is successful as if I can play the music I want to yeah. play in the car, and it's comfortable. But if you take someone who's a real car person, if they've, let's say they bought BMWs their whole life. Yeah. Well, if you're trying to get into that buyer, you've really got to come up with a clear, strong message of why they need to take the time 
to listen to you. And that's what a lot of companies are up against. There are entrenched vendors in almost every market unless it's a very new market. And unless you have messaging that makes that existing customer and the new customer, but really the existing customer, decide, I need to spend some time with this company. Like maybe, maybe it's time to become you know, a Mercedes person after all or a Genesis person after all. But why? What is it you're doing beyond the look of the car, let's say, mm-hmm. beyond, the, beyond some you know, cosmetic type things? Why should I really be talking to you right now? Well, how are you going to change my life? And that's where I try to get companies to really focus. If you're going up against an entrenched competitor, why would somebody spend the time learning about what you're doing? And if you can articulate that, they will. But it's tough to articulate that. Now, using that analogy of being a, a BMW guy or, or Mercedes guy, is it the CIOs or the IT team's loyalty to that product? Or is it just that they have this legacy and it would just be a nightmare to switch? Well, I think it's a number of things. Number one, change is hard, right? Anytime you make a change, you introduce risk. So companies are very, very focused on minimizing risk. So you've got to overcome that. You've got to have a value proposition that says, yes, it is risky to change, but you could try. You don't have to commit to us 100%. You could try, or you could use us over here where it's less risky and find out what happens. Well, you could at least hear out our direction and go back and ask your existing vendor about their direction and see if these match up with your plans. So there are different routes in. You've got to minimize that risk and you've got to minimize that inertia. And it's not just with the CIO. One of the things that you know Foundry does so well is having these brands that reach every audience. You know, so if you're a data center person, we've got Network World, a CSO. We've got CSO, right? If you're a developer, you lead developer teams. We have InfoWorld, mid-level IT manager, computer world. These people, in many cases, have built their careers around some of these companies and products. So convincing the CIO is one thing. Helping them, arming them, arming these other folks to listen is another thing. So if you've built, let's take a case in point, if you've built your career as a networking person around Cisco, well, you're going to need some compelling reasons to go in another direction. It's not to say they won't, but you've got to give them compelling reasons. And that's where we work, you know, you, I, our teams, work with people to help them come up with those compelling reasons and compelling messages to start the conversations and keep them going. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I mean, when I got into this job, you know, I was working at Tech Target, you know, selling banners and leads. Yeah. I never thought I'd be doing mad. And by the the way, I forgave you for that, and we've become (laughs) friends, but go on. There's a lot of good people there. Um, But I never thought I'd be doing Mad Men type stuff, right, where we're we're going in and pitching themes, you know, thematic approaches, and and almost like ad campaigns, which which frankly I love, because I I went to school to study marketing, and my dad convinced me that if you want to go into marketing, you should do sales first, because you'll be a better marketer understanding what sales needs, and frankly, got some good money and got hooked and here I am today, right? Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I get to do that stuff on a regular basis. I never thought when I started this that I would be doing ad pitches essentially on themes in terms of how yeah. to message and engage these folks, which I've just found fascinating. I want to hit the pause button to ask if you received your latest customer engagement research from Foundry, home of global editorial brands like CIO.com. 
Did you know that 87% of tech decision makers say that it's challenging to find high quality content when looking to make a tech purchase? Customer engagement is actually one of my favorite tech reports as it dives into the content consumption habits of tech decision makers. And it helps marketers understand the challenges and opportunities when marketing to tech buyers. The report goes into detail on how content's been consumed to help make purchase decisions and how those consumption habits change based on the buying persona and where people are in the purchase process. Learn how to drive greater results through your marketing activities through the insights of Foundry's Customer Engagement Study. Get your free copy of Foundry's Customer Engagement Study by heading over to foundryco.com slash on the road. That's foundryco, F-O-U-N-D-R-Y-C-O.com forward slash on the road. And don't forget, if you want to support the show, subscribe to our new YouTube channel or give us a rating, like, or even a comment on your favorite podcast platform. Cheers. thought when I started this that I would be doing ad pitches essentially on themes in terms of how yeah. to message and engage these folks, which I've just found fascinating. And it's great. It's something I really enjoy. I love working with people on that because, you know, when you think about it, there's big trends. We talk a lot about cloud. We talk a lot about AI, now specifically generational generative AI. We talk about multi-cloud. We talk about security. These are big buckets, right? Mm-hmm. And these are buckets where Lots of companies talk about these things. So again, it's this process of working with people to drill down. All right, if you say you're a multi-cloud company, you are actually going up against the biggest companies in the world. You can talk to Intel about multi-cloud, Cisco about multi-cloud, HP about multi-cloud, AWS about multi-cloud. If you're gonna go into that fray, what are you telling somebody about multi-cloud that differentiates you, that makes them wanna talk to you about that? And companies have these stories. Very rarely do I meet with a company and say, whoa, they got nothing. Most of the cases, it's like you're not, you're not doing a couple things. One is you're really not articulating strong differentiators. What separates you from these other companies? It may be the position you're coming at this from. Like this is a better position to come at multi-cloud from. Mm-hmm. Let's say you think it's better to come at it from the data center than from the cloud or from the edge or you have specific functionality that's lacking today, right, that people really need. It might be around management, governance, you know, uh, how you interconnect these public clouds. Um, You've got to articulate those things for people. And I find that people quite often aren't digging in deep enough to those differentiators. You just can't say you're a multi-cloud company. Hmm. Now, how does that translate in the partner world where you know, we've worked with some partners, right? Um, company A, they want to run a program across 10 or more different partners, right. right? So does one message cover all? Or do they need to take a distinct approach? Um, can you disseminate that message? What have you seen work well on the partner side? Yeah, I think it's a great question. One thing that I think makes partner marketing so important right now is this is a whole new world. I I tell marketers this a lot, which is you need to understand the scale of change that IT is going through. We're in a whole different realm of IT than we were 10 years ago. And it's not just that it's cloud, it's just, it's that we're changing every piece of this multi-cloud world. We're trying to make our data centers really dynamic, more truly cloud-like, right? Because they're, they're kind of limitations today. 
the, the private cloud piece of multi-cloud. We're looking at all the capabilities up in the cloud and trying to take advantage of best of breed things and allow developers to use the best AI functionality over here, the best capabilities for edge computing or internet of things over here. And, and these, this scale of change is huge. It's changing every single thing that we're doing, what we're buying in the data center, what we're buying in the cloud, how we're managing it, securing it, orchestrating it, providing governance across all of that, right? So you have to understand that scale of change first. When you think about it that way, this partner ecosystem that you have is a brilliant asset because companies realize it's very difficult for one provider to take me through this whole thing. When you can show this ecosystem of partners that provide more depth and security, that provide more depth in the way you manage and uh, orchestrate your environment, when you have more depth in terms of the elements around whatever component of this multi-cloud piece, and that can be anything from strategic guidance, managed services, products, that just makes the story better, right? It makes me more comfortable as a buyer. It's sort of like, you know, people always showcase awards. Well, showcase these partners. When you're in this ecosystem of these powerful partners that A, a customer may already have a relationship with and love, mm -hmm. B, that makes somebody more comfortable that there's someone else there filling gaps and strengthening what you're doing, that's something you really should have out in the world, and I don't see companies doing that enough. And I know how hard you work <laughs> to try to get them to do that. But that's a wonderful asset for particularly, I think, mid-sized companies because those are companies that really need that surety the most to say, like, look, we, we know we can't do it all by ourselves. Yeah. But look at the people we're working with. This is fantastic. Yeah, interesting. I know the companies that are leaning into it, especially the mid-size, I think one of the challenges they're finding is the companies are leaning into it, partner ecosystems are growing, not necessarily the resources or staff to support it, right? Yeah. So see a lot of partner marketers where, especially this year, you know, last year they might have had 10, 20 partners and it's doubled in some yeah. cases, right? And, you know, I, I heard a great saying at a conference was uh, this year, it's not, it's not doing more with less, it's achieving more with less. And okay. I thought that hit the nail on the head for this year. I like that. Well, you asked about theme, and I'll, I'll turn that question back to you. I know we've worked with a number of people, and some of them have brought it in under one umbrella theme where they showcase the capabilities of multiple partners. I mean, what have you seen work? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I can talk about this because it was a public program. We ran it, uh, I think, two years ago. But uh, Intel came together with about I think 19 of their different partners, some yeah. of their largest partners. And you know, and some of these were competitors. And what they wanted to do was, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, was how do we control the narrative and make sure you know, we're driving results for Intel while also driving value for our partners and generating right. pipeline, right? And so <clears throat> what we ended up doing was creating one single narrative. Right. You created it. Um, and, uh, but what was interesting is each partner could create a sub-theme underneath that main narrative, right? right? And then all tied up to the one narrative. So you had an overarching umbrella theme that we took to market, but every partner had their own spin on that theme. Yeah, and I loved it because it spoke to something people are really concerned about on the IT side, which is, you know, we hear it so often, sometimes you think that it's a, you know, a buzz phrase, agility, but they really mean it, which is our companies are telling us to move faster. We have yeah. to do everything faster huge imperative within organizations today. So that theme spoke to the agility piece and 
we showed what Intel was doing, tremendous things they were doing along that front, but all of those partners we were able to bring, and you guys created these great packages, which is, you know, if there were bigger partners who wanted to do more, they could do more. If there were smaller partners who wanted a voice in it and really be part of that, there were packages for those. And I, I, I just think it really did a nice job covering a lot of landscape. Yeah, yeah, and what I thought was really cool, and I've seen this time and time again on the partner side is, I almost feel like partner marketers are a little bit more experimental. Yeah. Um, will, willing to take risks, and you know that program was a risk for for both parties. You know, we were creating a platform that didn't exist right. to be able to to execute on it um, on a global basis, and you know it was it was a hit out of the park for us. It launched a whole new product line for us called Brand yeah. Hub, which we, we run today. Right. Um, you know, but I got to give the Intel team a lot a lot of credit. Like they they took a risk on that, and I see oh. that time and time again. Partner marketers are like, yeah, let's let's try that. Let's just right. see what happens. Right. Yeah, and I give the Intel team lots of credit. They were really a pleasure to work with on that. Because a lot of times I'll hear from people, we want to do something big and bold, and then you present an idea. They go, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> we can't, I don't know. I have right? a content syndication. But they took yeah. that and ran with it. And yeah. I think what, what was so cool about that was it was in a very challenging time. It was really near the beginning of the pandemic. And everybody was was freaked, like, what's going to happen IT budgets? Is everybody just going to hunker down and not spend a dime going forward? As it turns out, that wasn't the case because companies said, hey, the only way we're going to get through this is if we spend some money and do some things differently. We have to figure out at our retail stores, how do we serve people who don't want to be in a store? We have to figure out how to do e-commerce better. We have to figure out how to support remote work, all of these things that came up at once. So it turns out that there was going to be a lot of activity. And because they had, because they, I guess guts is the right word, to try that program at a at a time where a lot of other people will go, eh, maybe we should just lay low here, and it worked spectacularly well. Yeah, and I think they kicked it off before we really knew that the digital the three year digital transformation was going to happen within that one year. Oh, it was unbelievable. Right, and so they yeah. they, they kind of got in right before the writing was on the wall. Right. I think. Yeah. And by the way, one thing that I would mention about that. That period of time was critical for lots of things in our country and as people and everything. But from an IT perspective, what we heard over and over was, you know what, we really looked good during that period. We really showed the value to IT. It changed the nature of conversations we were having in the organization. You know, it elevated, I mean, we, we saw the number of CIOs who report to CEOs went up during that period. People saying, we need more of a direct connection here because we gotta move faster. And the number of projects you mentioned at Digital Transformation, you know, was on a dime as opposed to, um, you know, taking our time with it. That has translated into today. So in our research, we see people saying, yes, we think we may be headed into a recession. Some people say it might be tomorrow. Some people say six months. Some people say a year. It's not that there's any rose-colored glasses on, but what they're saying is, like the pandemic period, we think tech's going to get us through this period. Hmm. So we're actually not cutting our budgets. We're not planning to cut our budgets. We may shift priorities within IT, which is an important issue for vendors to think about. Like, you, don't, you want to be a shifter and not a shifty. But they're saying, we think this is, tech is going, to, is going to be the thing that gets our company through this. So those budgets are remaining strong. We've seen that, you know, Gartner has said that, and IDC has said that this year and next year. Uh, and they, they're looking for solutions for these pl- problems that they have right now. 
Do we have an idea of what the priorities were this year and what they might be shifting to? Well, there's two things I would kind of counterbalance always, which is, A, we're under a lot of pressure as IT to do things for the business that are new and that are going to grow revenue. So a lot, you know, a lot of focus on customer journey, a lot of focus on getting value out of data that lets us know what customers are going to do, where they might be heading, when we might lose them, all of that kind of stuff, which is why you see so much interest in analytics, AI, machine learning, gen AI. On the other hand, in order to do all these things, we've got to figure out a lot of stuff better in IT. So I did, you know, with the CIO group that I've worked with for a long time, we did a whole day on reinvention of IT. And they're looking at everything from what kind of applications are we developing, how are we developing them, what's this infrastructure look like, how do we use cloud. Every part of what we're doing is under examination today, which really, <clears throat> I mean, if you're a Excuse me, if you're a provider, you couldn't ask for a better landscape. I mean, you have all of these ways that you can help people with the game-changing stuff, and you have all the ways that you can help them clear up the problems that keep them from the game-changing stuff. Hmm. So when you think about that messaging, you know, I look in that, <clears throat> excuse me, that first camp of things, and I think really powerful customer stories, really powerful stories of what you're doing in a particular industry, a vertical industry, to change that industry inspire, create aspirations among customers of what you can do. And over here, how are you clearing the path? How are you cutting down the trees to let people get to where they need to go? You're kind of a naturalist guy, too. And I, I, the cutting down the trees thing might not have been this is because the I'm best from analogy. Or, uh... Let's kill the weeds, right? Let's kill the weeds. Uh, I'll go with that. But uh, yeah, you're from Colorado, so yeah, you're an outdoorsy the outdoors guy. guy. We, we love, me kill we the, love trees. the trees in yeah. Colorado. But I think, you know, that landscape opens yeah. up opportunities on both sides, right? Inspire and fix. Hmm. Really tremendous. It's, it's funny that you say the, <clears throat> the examination of today, almost this like pullback of, all right, go back to the basics. What are we doing? What's working, not working? And, and how do we build from here? Like that's, you could have just not said IT and put marketing in that place. Yeah. And that would have been the story I've heard this year from marketers was, yeah. A lot of companies face layoffs, budget cuts, resources. All right, we got to examine everything that we're doing and, and focus on what's working and pull back on what's not working. Right. You know, you, you have raised a good point. I think both of these functions are in tremendous flux right now. The world's changing, both in how you use technology and marketing has more technology than ever was available, more data, more, you know, is that data real? Is that data accurate? How do I use that data ethically and responsibly? You know, these two, these two realms are very similar in dealing with that change. What's the role? I mean, CIO is a funny role. You don't, get, you don't get 20 CFOs in a room and they wonder, what's our role? CFOs know what their role is. It really is, you know, it changes over time. It morphs over time. But that CIO role changes dramatically over time. You know, it used to be very back office, despite the title. A lot, we know that a lot of it was very back office. What we're seeing is that they really are trying to be much more proactive. They're really trying to fulfill the C part of the title, right? Hmm. That they're in the C-suite and that they're driving the business. Same in marketing. I, when I talk to marketers and the number of issues that they're wrestling with, you know, the value within their company, the customer journey, multi-channel marketing, using data effectively, tremendous amount of things to wrestle with and to come to grips with, right? It's very difficult time for both groups. Hmm. Now, are the are the CIOs 
How involved are they in the purchase process? Are they, they're running big teams on the enterprise side. Are they just disseminating all these decisions down to the teams? Or are they, are they actually involved in talking to vendors yeah. and looking at products? So obviously this varies by every company. Every company is yeah. different. And one of the things that I love is this research that we do called Role and Influence, which actually maps out the whole buying journey from determining the business need to post-sale. And it really looks at who's involved at different phases, right? And the CIO is, is a player in all the phases, but differently at each phase. So at the determining the business function, de sorry, determining the business need, the CIO will really often work with line of business there and the CEO. Mm -hmm. And that's where they're trying to figure out what are we doing for the company? What need are we trying to fulfill? And that could be everything from we need a, a new human resource management system, right? We've got to manage our people assets better. So let's look at some technology that can help with that. Or it's trying to figure out how, you know, what are the right questions we should be asking from artificial intelligence that can change the business, right? So for example, I talked to one CIO that worked with the sales team within their organization and they figured out why are the 20% of our salespeople who are really responsible for 80% of our sales, what's making them successful? And they were able to drill into the data, look at everything those folks were doing, and come back to the rest of the team and say, if you take these activities and do them differently, you're going to have more success. And hmm. they did. So that's at the front. That's at the envisioning phase. But then you start to get into the guts of the process, right? That's, okay, this is what we decided we're going to do. Now we have to figure out how we're going to do that. And that's when different roles start to take more prominence. We start to see sort of that mid-level management. We start to see um, we, you know, more of the architect, the individual contributors who are going to get into the guts of this and say, all right, if we're looking for a human resource management system, as we just mentioned, which of these products fits all the needs that was identified by the users? Mm -hmm. So those are the line of business folks that have been in the initial meetings. So they're going to map out, well, they say they want to be able to track candidates differently through the hiring process. They say they want to be able to identify talent within the organization. So I need to find somebody right away who's our partner marketing expert. It's going to point me to Rick, right? Immediately, somebody's going to get that expertise within the company when they need it. They're going to translate that into what are the product? What do we have to buy to get to that, right? And it may be a build versus buy decision. But if we're thinking about the buy part of it, what's a product look like that we're going to, this is the checklist of what we need. Go back to the car example. At the beginning of the process, it's you and your wife sitting down and saying, all right, we need a new car. The family's different than it was three years ago. Yeah. We're going to be taking three kids to soccer and dance and this and that and the other, right? So what kind of car are we buying? That's sort of the high level, what kind of car do we need? But then you're going to translate that in the next step, like, okay, I've decided it's SUV. What do I look for in an SUV, right? That's that guts of the process, whereas we're starting to get into. Then we're going to look at vendors, right? Then we're going to make recommendations. So it's different people at every phase. The CIO is involved, so they're sort of meeting with their team and going, where, you, where do you stand on this? Mm -hmm. And they, they're going to have feedback, too, like, I don't want to deal with that vendor. I've heard nothing but bad things from my peers about that vendor. Or conversely, why isn't this vendor on our list? <laughs> I've heard nothing but good about this vendor. Why isn't it on the list? So CIOs are involved throughout, but different personas take on different roles. And as that survey shows, they use different content 
at each part of that. So the content at the outset goes more to that aspirational stuff. Line of business folks want to know, what, how'd you change the industry? What, what are you doing with our competitors, right? Inspire me. Give me something to aspire toward. CIOs want to know about that too. But once we've decided to move ahead, we need to know more about you from a product, yeah. company, commitment to sustainability, all kinds of things. I love the word aspire because you have the ear of the CIO and you use that word. I listen to a lot of marketers. Yeah. I almost never hear that word. Right. I hear a lot of thought leadership and I guess you could use them interchangeably, but I don't actually hear that word yeah. in a lot of the marketers I meet with. I do hear thought leadership a lot. And thought leadership yeah. is great. Do you right? hear that from the CIOs or the marketers? Not so much from CIOs. Yeah. Um, but they just may not be familiar with right. the term. It's sort yeah. of our part of the world term. They may just different words for the same thing. Yeah. No, they're not. Okay. So yeah, the, I want to dive so into the that. thought leadership is really more, what's your, what's your direction, what's your expertise on a particular topic? Like, what's your thought leadership on AI? You know, what do you, where are you going with AI and what do you think about AI as a company? Aspiration is around what are you helping people do that are changing the world? Hmm. That's what I, and when you think about that need, and we see it in our surveys, when you think about that need from CIOs to proactively bring ideas to the rest of the business, you got to arm them with that. You got to fuel that. They don't know this stuff off the top of their head. And in fact, they have this tremendous FOMO right now. You're in a world where AI is changing everything. You're spending a lot of time just waiting to find out what your competitor's doing that you're not. So you've got to arm people with these aspirational stories. And, and why I think those are so important is, at the beginning of the year, there are tech projects we know we're going to do. And we'll go through the purchase process and we'll move things along. They've been budgeted. We've been talking about them. These are things we know we're going to do. The aspirational things can open up new purchase processes. So imagine if you came in to your boss and you said, I just learned about this. Somebody else in another industry is doing this. We could do this and it would change our business. That can open up a whole new purchase process. But if you're not telling people about that, how do they know you're involved in any of those things? People love that stuff. That's great advice. And, and don't underestimate FOMO. We all have it. Right? <laughs> Which is why I don't even look at Facebook, because people are either eating somewhere I want to be eating, or they're doing something really cool that I want to be doing, or they're talking about somebody well, dead I mean, in their family. We're drinking great wine on camera, so I think we're, we're leaning in a great FOMO studio. Right? Does it get yeah. any better? Well, that's great. Is there anything else you want to touch upon in terms of the market or where you think we're, we're headed? No, but I would love to hear from you, you know, we're getting toward the end of the year where we sort of have these end of the year type things. Yeah. What are you thinking as we go ahead? How have you seen this partner marketing process, the, the goals, aspirations, because they have aspirations as well. Yeah. How are you seeing this change? It's been an interesting year. I think, you know, if I think about the year as a whole, there was, there was a big kind of waiting period going yeah. on this year, right? So it was, it was a, you know, tough first half for a lot of people and, you know, a lot of good people were let go. And, you know, the people that stayed behind had to, had to pick up extra work and it was just tough all around, right? And so, you know, people were still spending, people were still yeah. active, you know, programs were still going out there, but you could see there was this hesitation of, there was just no sense of urgency. Right. And I, and I think a lot of people had the idea, including us, that the second half would be a lot better, right? And we'd start to see some sort of recovery and turnaround, especially in advertising and marketing. And that really didn't happen. It's kind of just consistently stayed. So, you know, coming out of Labor Day, we have seen that sense of urgency yeah. pick up. And I think it's just, you know, a, a mental realization that 
the end of the year is coming. We got to get programs out. We got to get partner spinning. You know, we got to get MDF locked in. So I don't know how that's going to change next year. Um, you know, what I have seen, and this goes back to the similarities I was talking about between CIOs and marketing, is that there was a big focus on getting our house in order this year. Yeah. And, and I've seen that at a lot of organizations, especially partner organizations, of we're going to streamline our process, we're going to make it more efficient for partners to engage, we're going to get better at tracking. We're going back to the basics on a lot of this stuff. Yeah. And I think that's going to make some, for some killer partner marketing organizations next year. You know, because I think next year the expectation is a little different. People are ready, they're more efficient, and they're just more streamlined. And so yeah. I think heading into next year, you know, people are in a good place to just tackle the year next year. They have their house in order, and 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 that's exciting. And you know, people are investing and seeing some really creative ideas, especially around nurturing. Yeah. And I think that's a challenge with with partner marketing is that you run a great program, you pass on the leads, and you hope the other team calls on them. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so we're we're seeing a lot more nurturing going into the programs. To actually, make sure that these programs are producing results for the partners because the worst thing you can do is set up a great program, turn it on, and the partners sit on the leads, and they come back to you and say there's no results. Well, hey, you, you called on them once after three weeks and never followed up. Yeah, right? and it's and, tough for them to control that. Yeah, exactly. Right. So we're seeing a little bit more control taken around the nurturing side just, yeah. to, just to really help facilitate that opportunity creation process. And I didn't get to ask you at the beginning, what do you love about partner marketing? You've been involved with yeah. this for a while. <laughs> What do you love about it? You know, I think I said it earlier, and, and I stand by it. I think it's just the, ex it's, it's two things. It's the experimental part. There's, there's just a real sense of let's try it. Yeah. And there really is a sense of community, you know, and that's why we can have a dinner tonight with competitors at it and, and yeah. just talking about what's working, not working. I, I love people. I, I'm on the road a lot, you know, and I just love bringing people together. And I see that a lot in the partner marketing side. I see a lot of real connections. Everyone's networked. You know, people are helping each other out. Um, you know, it's, it, you know, it sounds corny, but it's kind of a kumbaya little community. Yeah. You know, B2B marketing in general is a pretty niche thing. And we see a lot of marketers go from tech company to tech company, and especially on the partner side. Yeah. And it, it's just a tight knit community. And I've always loved that. And I think you're in the right spot because given the scale of the problems and the scale of the change that IT teams are dealing with, I think that the companies are going to be most successful, the ones that not only have great capabilities of their own, but have the ability to leverage that partner ecosystem that can deliver a much broader scope of things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, John, as we close out, like I ask everybody, you have to leave one for the road. So what's one piece of advice that you want to leave to the partner marketers out there? Well, again, I go back to this issue of what differentiates you, right? And really spending much more time thinking about you're trying to get into the mind of incredibly busy people who are dealing with so many things at once. You really have to have that knife edge of differentiation to get in there. So what is it that you do? And it's not just product. It's how you deliver product. It's what you wrap around product. There's a lot of ways to get in, but you really have to be very cold-hearted about identifying those differentiators today. Well, thanks, John. Cheers. My pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. Anytime I can have wine and talk with smart people, <laughs> it's good stuff. This podcast has been brought to you by IDG Communications Incorporated, doing business as Foundry. 
The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent those of Foundry or the participants' companies.